Virginia Tech hosts Notre Dame in yet another big early season game. Virginia sort of figured out how to win on the road in holding off Miami last week and now tries for two in a row at Louisville. All that and Aaron McFarlane's puppy chow this week on Teal and Barkley. Welcome in to episode 61 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you? Good afternoon. I'm well. As am I. Great to hear from you. And, you know, David, with, with neither of these teams playing this this past weekend, I took the opportunity to take the family to the to the beach, get the kids in the water. We went down to Curry Beach in North Carolina. I don't know if you're familiar. I am not. A lovely spot and, and a little less crowded than the Outer Banks where we usually do our, our vacationing. And I got to tell you, David, for being what is decidedly out of season in, in October, uh, the weather was close to 80. The water was bathwater warm. Uh, I don't know. There, there might be something to this uh, going to the beach in October thing. Well, having lived at the beach <laughs> for a portion of, of my life, I would uh, concur. There's there's a lot to be said for avoiding tourist season. Yeah, that's the other benefit was, you know, we, we wanted to dine uh, you know, more outdoors and things like that. And, and the weights that we get in June and July were not there in October, which uh, was lovely as well. Now, I got to say... I, I wanted to get the, the kids into the water and my daughter, my daughter would swim across the Atlantic to England if we let her try at least. Um, my son's been hit or miss. He's two years old. Uh, the first few times of, of this summer, he was all about getting in the waves as long as, you know, daddy held him and the waves crashing and even took a couple waves to the face and loved it. This time, I don't know what it was. But he did not want to be near the ocean. Hmm. What, what was either your memories or your experience with Tiny Teal? Did she take to the water, or how did that process work? Well, she she took to the water pretty quickly because we're fortunate we have a pool in the backyard. Oh, that's so nice. So <laughs> very quickly she was in the water. Now she her experience with waves in the ocean is limited. So and it's been a few years. Not really sure how she would react to uh, a little turbulence in the sea. <laughs> That's interesting. You, know, you make a great point because Evan spends a ton of time in the pool. We, we don't have the, the lovely setup that you guys have over at Casa Teal, but uh, we, he spends a ton of time swimming. So it was just the waves, and you're right. It was the crashing. And like I said, he, he sure took to him when he, was, when he was one and when he was 16 and 18 months. But now that he's just over two, um, it's almost like he knew better. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to deal with that. But uh, like I said, the seven-year-old couldn't wait to, to get in. So uh, pretty good time, David. Do you, in the time you've been doing this, do you take many getaways during football season? Because we we get the open date. Uh, sometimes they, they line up. Sometimes you get a weekend off after a team plays on a Thursday. Have you done much in-season? getaways or, or is that reserved for the off season for you? Not really traveling. Now, now this past Saturday, I took, took our daughter to Bush gardens. Nice. Cause, cause the weather was, was perfect. And we got up there late morning, ran around for a few hours, exhausted ourselves. Actually she exhausted me would probably be a more <laughs> accurate description. And, you know, we were home by late afternoon 
And that was great. G- gave Jill time to have the house to herself, to run errands unattached, and daddy-daughter time on a Saturday in the fall is rare indeed. So why not take advantage of it? Oh, I love it. Yeah, that sounds like a smart way to do it, the, the day trip. And, um, you know, we went big for this one, but I think we're going to look for some more, um, maybe even Sunday activities to to get that family time that has, it's just kind of hard to come by during the season. But, uh, David, you and I will both be taking a trip this weekend down to Blacksburg uh, on Saturday to see Virginia Tech host Notre Dame. It's going to be, I, I think it's fair to call it, the, the third big game in the first five contests here for the Hokies. They you know, opened with that attention-grabbing win over North Carolina. The Tar Heels came into the year as the preseason favorite in the Coastal Division, so certainly that was a big one. And then you know, from the fans' point of view, it, it doesn't get any bigger than that game down in West Virginia, which they lost really close. And you know, we asked Justin Fuente about you know, w- what it's been like to have these early big games and if, if maybe Carolina and West Virginia helped prepare him for Notre Dame. Here's what he had to say. You think about opening with North Carolina, you think about going on the road to West Virginia, and then you have Notre Dame coming up. And it's pretty easy to see that three of the first five are pretty important, big, big games. And um, it's nice to have been through that, but but you know, the team we're about to play plays in the whole time, too. So I don't know that it's an advantage. It is nice that we've, we've lived through it, and we've been through it, and, and we can always expect it. Now, David, that they've lived through it and um, made it through. And part of the reason it's been so challenging is the offense has been – to me, surprisingly uh, ineffective, disappointing. I think we, we both had really high hopes for what they could be offensively this year. Uh, they had an extra week now to figure it out. Do we think they're going to have some answers? And what might those answers be? I don't know. After I was out in Blacksburg yesterday for for Justin Fuente's weekly presser and you know just trying to take the pulse and you know watch body language and such i i still sense that they're groping a little bit on the offensive side <clears throat> they need braxton burmeister to to be more aggressive throwing the football downfield they need more depth at wide out to help trey turner tavion robinson and caleb smith obviously they're without james mitchell Oh, by the way, they rank last in the ACC in yards per rush at 3.6. And, you know, they're 13th in scoring. So they, they have issues on, on that side of the ball. Whereas conversely, you know, they're top 15 in the country in both scoring defense and opponents third down conversions. Yeah, and the defense, I mean, if the defense is what we saw in the opener against Carolina, that can carry them a long way. If it's what we've seen in the subsequent games, good enough, certainly, but not uh, quite as dominant. So what do we think, David? Is Can the defense be that unit we saw in the opener that just, I mean, battered Sam Howell in Carolina? Yeah, I think it can be. And I, they have depth, especially at defensive tackle and at linebacker and a little bit on the back end, not so much at, at defensive end. And you know, Notre Dame coming in is not exactly humming on the offensive side either. You know, questions at quarterback. The Fighting Irish rank last among all Power 5 programs in yards per rush at 2.4. And that's not because Karen Williams and, and Chris Tyree are poor running backs. It's because they've lost – just a gaggle of NFL draft choices along the offensive line. 
And it's, it's hard to just plug guys in there year after year after year. So, you know, translation, I don't know what the under is, but you might want to bet it. <laughs> well, we'll get into that a little bit later with Aaron McFarling, but I have in my notes here, the over-under on this one is 47, which is low. I mean, that is a low number, David. And, um, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. What do we make of, of Notre Dame overall after that loss to Cincinnati? Um, you know, they were certainly in, in the hunt and in the picture for a college football playoff berth. I have to imagine that that's largely out of the window, out the window now. What do we make of this fighting Irish team? They really miss Ian Book. Yeah. I mean, they, they really do. They're, you know, we, we saw Virginia Tech against Richmond very briefly go to their back backup at quarterback and, and Knox Kadem. Well, Brian Kelly played three on Saturday against Cincinnati. Jack Cohn, Drew Pine, and, and Taylor Buck, Tyler Buckner, excuse me. And it sounds like that Drew Pine, the sophomore, he's a freshman eligibility-wise, but he, he played some last year. It sounds like he's going to be the guy moving forward. I don't think you're going to see a rotation similar to, to, to what Notre Dame used against Cincinnati last week. Which is interesting because I think Jack Cohn, the, the transfer from Wisconsin, I, I thought he impressed uh, in a few spots early on. And I thought he was going to be a guy that, as the year went on, got more comfortable uh, with that offense, with his teammates. And I thought he had a chance to have a really good year. Well, and, you know, he the, they were, were good offensively in the opener against mm-hmm. Florida State. Now, that may have been a function of <laughs> uh, uh, opposition, but you know, has, has, has struggled since and certainly struggled Saturday against a really good Cincinnati team. You know, Justin Fuente's point about Notre Dame being accustomed to big games is very well taken. And one of them was last week. You know, that's a top 10 matchup they had in South Bend. Yeah. And I guess I thought Notre Dame was going to win that easily. You picked Cincinnati correctly, uh, to win that game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, when you look at what's left for Notre Dame, you mentioned the running backs, uh, and one of them is a local guy in Chris Tyree. And um, what does he bring to the table? Because he seems like the kind of guy who could be a, a star for that offense. Well, <clears throat> what he does, Mike, is is he's he's a counter to to Williams, who's who's a more physical bruising back. You know, you asked Fuente yesterday specifically about Tyree, and he just immediately talked about his raw speed mm-hmm. and it w- was evident. I forget which team he, he did it against, took a kickoff 98 yards mm-hmm. for, for a touchdown in, in a, in a very close game. And it's those kinds of plays that led to Virginia Tech's demise at West Virginia, not on special teams, but chunk plays. Yeah, and that's sort of what my concern for the Hokies in this game is it, it just feels like I don't know what to make maybe of either team, but Notre Dame has a little more firepower. It, it's just what you're talking about there with, with Tyree. It, they just seem like they have more guys who can make those. And we used to hear it from Frank Beamer all the time, right, David? It's you know four or five plays that decide the game. It just seems like they got more guys who can make those plays. And um, to me, that that might be where the difference in this one is. It very well could be. What, what I think Virginia Tech's defense needs to do, Mike, is, is make Notre Dame grind it out and prove that it can go the length of the field. Because thus far, the Fighting Irish have not been, really been able to do that consistently. Can't have 
80-yard runs like the one they, they gave up at, at West Virginia. You, you just can't give something cheap in a game such as this, whereas Fuente said yesterday, you know, four yards are going to be a big deal in, in this game. Yeah, I agree. And the other area I'm looking at that I think is factors into that, the defensive ends. And I know the coaches keep saying that they've been pleased with the play of the, the defensive line overall and, and, and even the ends. And But Amari Barno and Tywan Garbett against North Carolina, I mean, they were all Americans. They just destroyed Carolina's offensive game plan. Since then, we have not seen that level of production uh, from the defensive ends, from the pass rush. And to me, that's an area where I think Tech really needs to get going. They had six sacks, if I'm not mistaken, in the Carolina game. They've had seven sacks total in all the games since. I think they need to get back to that level of disruption off the edge. Well, let's keep a couple things in mind. They've only played three games since. So they're still averaging multiple sacks per game. And, you know, Richmond didn't throw it that much. So you're not going to get a lot of sacks in in that game. So I, I think the numbers may be a little deceiving there. And last week, Justin Hamilton talked about how maybe the, 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 the stats that his defensive line uh, are, are compiling, maybe not reflective of, of their play. So we'll see moving forward. Yeah, I think it's certainly an area where, you know, it's interesting. And I think Justin Hamilton said this to me uh, last week during the open date where, you know, maybe teams are targeting Barno a little too with one of the ways to get a pass rusher on his heels is, is to run right at him. Right at him. Um, yep. And I think that we've seen some of that when I went back and watched. I think you've seen some teams kind of go at Barno because, that's a one way to neutralize a star. And, and I do think he has the ability uh, to be that kind of a star. Agreed. I mean, and he, and he, he has that ability and he's so young. Yeah. And new to the position too. Yes. So new to the position and raw. So uh, very encouraging. Also encouraging in its own ugly, <laughs> disjointed kind of way, David, was Virginia picking up its first win in South Florida since 2011. It was able to hold off Miami on a Thursday night. Now, it won courtesy of a, a last-second field goal that doinked off the upright, uh, but it's better to win that way than lose that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and David, that win, when you look at the schedule, that was a massive win for UVA if it wants to be a bowl team, if it wants to have a winning season. And I think it's all but probably out as a coastal division contender, but that was a pretty big moment for, for the Cavaliers, was it not? No question. I mean, if, if, all, if, if Borgales makes that, and he's standing in the middle of the field. I mean, he's not even on, on the hash. He's, he's dead center from, what was it, 32, 33 yards. Mm-hmm. And you, you figure he's going to make it, although I thought Miami needed to be a little more aggressive in, in getting him closer because he's a freshman. And, yeah, he's got bloodlines, and his brother was great, but he's not his brother. But th- that, that aside, if – Virginia is riding a three-game skid going to Louisville this week. I think it could get bleak for the Cavaliers. But now all of a sudden, you you got to win a road win, and you're going to a place where you have never walked out the victor. Uh, 0-3 there since the Cardinals joined the ACC. And in playing one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the league, Malik Cunningham, leads the ACC in rushing touchdowns with 10. Yeah, it's going to be a big challenge. I do want to go back to one thing about that field goal. 
because 33 yards out is not that far. Straight away, ideal position. You're playing at home, so you don't you're not fighting the crowd. I think most, if not all, people expected that kick to turn into a Virginia loss. But there was one person I spoke to that night, David, <laughs> who told me before the kick exactly what was going to happen. It was you. You and I were texting, and I, I'm, I'm trying to find it here. I said, this is before the kick. I said, this is a brutal loss for Virginia. And you said, kicker is a freshman. And I said, okay, this is a brutal likely loss for Virginia. And you said, without equivocation here, you said, he's going to miss. <laughs> and 30 seconds later, I'm watching my TV and he misses. Now, unless that was some tape delay magic on your part, <laughs> and, and David, what gave you the feeling there? Or, or am I on to something? What gave you the feeling there that this was going to go Virginia's way? Just as I told he's he's a freshman. I did think they needed to be a little more aggressive there. Although I, I, I must confess, after I texted you, he's going to miss. When I saw him line it up, and it's right there in the center of the field. Yep. Like, oh, man, he's going to center cut this thing. <laughs> and, you know, damn if he didn't doink it. And, and you feel horrible for him. Yeah. And, and for any kicker in, in, in that position. And, you know, but the, you know, Virginia kids are celebrating and, and, and going wild. And it's Bronco said after the game, you know, he's, he's been on the other side of those. He, mm-hmm. he knows what, what it feels like. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a Twitter hashtag out there, college kickers. <laughs> and that, that's what, th- this is not Justin Tucker of the Baltimore Ravens knocking through a 66 <laughs> yarder at the gun to beat the Detroit Lions. It just doesn't happen in college. 33 yards and 33 to spare if you had Tucker. Yeah. Uh, now, and certainly celebration, huge win, massive, all, all of those things, and um, you know, well-earned and fought by Virginia. But, David, as I scroll through our text messages from that night, early on it looked like Virginia was going to really run away and put this thing away early. Uh, mm-hmm. It looked like they may have a commanding performance. But, bluntly, this defense st- – it isn't any good. I know it's getting better, and it's better than it was against Carolina and, and probably a step forward from the weight game. But, David, this defense right now isn't a very good defense. Against a, a pedestrian backup quarterback. At best, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, did did, did Tyler Van Dyke show you much? I mean, uh, what would De'Ara King have done? A healthy De'Ara King. Oof. Yeah, that's – and – I think Malik Cunningham is every bit, if not better, than De'Ara King. I think Malik Cunningham is is one of the most fascinating players uh, in the ACC. Actually, randomly, David, got the chance to speak to him today. That's a great story. I was interviewing his his former teammate, Anthony Johnson, uh, the defensive back who was transferred from Louisville to UVA. Anthony is just a character. He's got a ton of energy. He loves to interact with the media. I asked him three or four questions about Malik. You know, does he make big plays in practice? What's he like personality-wise? What's their relationship like? And his answers were great, and he, he told me all about, um, you know, how much they like each other and how much trash they're going to talk. And he said, I, I'm going to go in a locker room, and I'll probably give him a call and, and tell him I was just talking about him right now. And then we kind of dapped it up. He went in the locker room, and maybe 45 seconds later, he comes running out holding his cell phone. And he said, hold on, hold on. I got him on the phone now. (laughs) He hands me the phone and there's Malik Cunningham. And I got to ask him a little bit about uh, his take on Anthony Johnson. But uh, 
you know, those two have a lot of fun. And, and, and Anthony Johnson said, you know, Malik Cunningham, physically incredibly gifted, obviously. But there is, and we remember this from Bryce Perkins. I think we see it with Brennan Armstrong. There is a competitive fire. Uh, he said, and Malik Cunningham, that drives some of those amazing plays. It's it's not just that, yeah, he can outrun you, or yeah, he can beat you to the edge, or yeah, he'll lower his shoulder, yeah, he'll try to jump over you. It's the fact that it's the end goal there, right? He wants to beat you, and then he will do whatever it takes, and physically, he can back it up. I, I think it's going to be a heck of a challenge for a defense that isn't playing well. I think it'd be a heck of a challenge for a defense that is playing well to slow this guy down. Well, Wake Forest couldn't. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, 37-34 last week, the Deacons escape. Um, and I'm sure Louisville fans and perhaps even Louisville players are still a little salty about mm-hmm. the end of the first half, where inexplicably, in my mind, Wake Forest with one, to- with one timeout left is able to run a play from the one-yard line from the Louisville one, not make it and get a timeout call before the clock expired so they could kick a field goal on the last play of the first half. I, I've i never seen that with no. so little time. I'm not a mathematician, but that, that doesn't add up, right? It no. just doesn't. They say it's about four seconds, four to five seconds to run a play. Um, yeah. So let alone to run a play like that, um, which isn't the quickest developing thing ever. And um, mm-hmm. and then to get the timeout, yeah, I, I certainly see. And then when the game ends with a three-point margin, that becomes even harder to <laughs> accept or, or fathom. It's going to be an interesting one. I think it's one that Virginia can win. I do have a concern here because we, we've said about talked about the defense and, and how shaky it is. The offense, David, is the offense cooling off or is it just cooling off relative to you know 500 yards and some of the really gaudy things it was doing early on? No Jelani Woods was a problem mm-hmm. Thursday uh, against Miami. Um, I was otherwise preoccupied yesterday and haven't had a chance to read Broncos transcript from yesterday. Is, is Woods going to play this week? He had no update and he said he wouldn't know until Thursday, which to me is not a great sign, No, right? It it wasn't like he said, I'll tell you Thursday. He said, I'm not going to know till Thursday, uh, which means it indicates to me he'd be less than a hundred percent if he is available at all. Which means he's not practicing. Correct. And we did not see him. I was out at practice morning. Did not see him out there today. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think that's you know that's that's tough. And you know they've they've got other injuries too. And 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 oh by the way, you know how about the backup kicker? <laughs> the backup kicker who David, uh, I, I guess it was preseason this year. I can't remember if it was preseason or end of spring. Uh, I asked Bronco Mendenhall about Brendan Farrell because at the time he was the starting punter, right? They, Jacob Finn had not transferred in yet. Um, Farrell was the the starting punter. And I asked Bronco about him and he basically admitted, I don't know anything about the kid. I'll have to do a little research in case you want to ask me another time. I remember that. <laughs> and it was uh, perhaps foreshadowing of the fact that they were going to bring in a grad transfer at punter. But then I went and interviewed Jacob Finn. And, and when I asked him about uh, Brandon Farrell, he said, man, this kid can do everything. He said, you guys don't realize that in practice, he's doing kickoffs. He's place kicking. He's punting. He can do it all. He's holding. Um, and he said to me, and, and this was, you know, I think the first week of the season, there's going to come a time when, when we need this guy. And, and I don't know where, because he can do it all, but I think he's going to be ready. And David, he's been ready. Yeah. I mean, he was, yeah, he he made one from forty three mm-hmm. at, at at Miami, 
and all his all his kickoffs were uh, were, were were touchbacks pretty much. I don't think Miami ha- had field position better than the twenty five after a Virginia score. Uh, he was he was solid, but but yeah. You know, when you when you lose your starting kicker and Jelani Woods is is banged up, yeah, that's Gene needs to get healthy. Yeah, and that is the one good news that Devontae Cross, it turned out, wasn't an injury. Well, he was dealing with something, a personal family matter, is what okay. Bronco told us. And he's back. Um, he Basically, he said he had things with his family he needed to tend to. We gave him the time to do that. He was back with the team on Sunday and practicing. So um, all indications are he'll be a full go for this game, which, which certainly helps. Uh, you know, Virginia, if it wants to do the things it, it hopes to do this season, uh, it needs to start stringing some wins together. And the defense is an issue. Uh, we talked about about tech and, and those two topics kind of meld together to bring us this week's edition of who you got. Thank you, Mike. Who you got? We've seen Virginia Tech's offense and UVA's defense struggle here in the first third of the season. Which unit is more likely to get it together this weekend? The Hokies offense or the who's defense? Who you got? Let's start with Dave. I'm going to say Virginia's defense with very little confidence, by the way, <laughs> g- given that the, the Cavaliers are, are playing Malik Cunningham and, and Louisville. But I, I again, I, I go back to Justin Fuente's body language and tone of voice yesterday. He just didn't. And, and maybe he's playing possum. You know, he's, he's just, you know, tr- trying to be a, a, a poker player here. He did not look like a confident coach to me yesterday when he talked about his offense. He just didn't. All right. Thank you, David. Mike? Yeah, I'm torn here because, like you said, I, I don't love the matchups. I, I don't love, you know, maybe UVA's defense is getting better and it's, maybe it's gotten better each week, but here's Malik Cunningham. I think that's going to present problems. But then on the flip side, I look at Tech going up against what I think is a really good Notre Dame defense. It's kind of a coin toss for me. I'm going to give the nod uh, to Virginia Tech's offense because I think most of their problems are as simple as Braxton Burmeister needs to play a little better. Uh, and I remember, you know, last year, the way he played in his second go around, remember he started the year, then he came out, then he played again at the end of the year and he was much better at the end of the year. Maybe the open date does that for him again. Um, so I think Braxton Burmeister is better, even though the opponent is better. I think Braxton Burmeister is better on Saturday. And I think that is what elevates the Hokies offense. I say that with very minimal confidence, but uh, <laughs> if I have to take one of the two, uh, that's where I'm going right now. Well, both Virginia Tech and UVA are underdogs this weekend, so let's take a closer look at those lines. To help us sort through all of the odds for this coming weekend, we've got our good friend and the outstanding sports columnist from the Roanoke Times, Aaron McFarling. He's back from what I assume was a uh, enjoyable uh, vacation weekend last time we spoke to him. So, Aaron, how are you? I'm uh, doing great, man. Uh, it was a great vacation and then a, a great Saturday, a lot of soccer winners. <laughs> so we lost that Friday game, which unfortunately was my upset of the week. And when it's the only uh, game on in, on that Friday slate, it's kind of a bummer. The Terps really laid an egg there. But we rebounded on Saturday with 5-2 uh, and two against the spread in the ACC picks that we had in the, in the column. So hopefully people are reading that as a supplement to what we do here. Absolutely. That's outstanding stuff. And uh, I know you told me you've had some success with those soccer draws, too. So you've always got a way to to make it up if things do get a little (laughs) away from you, don't you? That's right. You've got you got to diversify your portfolio. (laughs) I love it. Well, let's stick to our portfolio of college football here. We've got Notre Dame visiting Virginia Tech this weekend. The Fighting Irish coming off that loss to Cincinnati. They're only a one point favorite. And 
I think obviously had they won the Cincinnati game, that number would be a lot bigger. But Aaron, what what do you make of that line? Yeah, I don't know that it'd be a lot bigger. It might be three. You know, it might be somewhat bigger, a couple of points, which, you know, when you're talking about three and one, that makes a big difference to odds makers. But I expect an inspired effort out of the Hokies in this game. I just do. I mean, this is kind of one I think they've been circling. I've been circling as, as one I'm, I can't wait to cover. Um, it is kind of an old something's got to give situation in terms of the trends. The Irish, they've covered in eight of their past 10 road games, uh, while the Hokies are five and one against the spread in their past six as a home pup. So, uh, you know, that's one of those where the, you're, you're pulling in both directions there. But, you know, winning on the road is really hard. And Notre Dame is, has shown that in its only true road game of the year. I mean, they lost or they won at Florida State in a game they, you know, could have lost a 50, 41-38. We all know Florida State is not very good this season. They're terrible. So, yeah. yeah, they're very, they're very. Uh, I was you trying. You to don't be, have to be nice on this show. <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic. Yeah, uh, they're they're bad. They're they're awful. And so uh, you know, I think if you combine a week off, although one one trend not in the Hokies' favor here is uh, they're only one and four against the spread in their past six or past five games coming off a bye, which is interesting. You would expect them to be a little better in those spots, especially given Fuente's ability to to scheme up for, you know, openers. He's done real well in openers, but it seems that extra week during the season hasn't really helped the Hokies. But I'm still going to go with the Hokies here. I'm going to take uh, Virginia Tech 30, Notre Dame 21. They win outright. Interesting. Now, the over-under on this one is a super low 47. Both of these offenses have had a ton of trouble. Um, before the season, I don't think I could have convinced you that Notre Dame at Virginia Tech would have had a 47 over-under. What, what do you think about that number? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to go over slightly. I mean, I, I do think, you know, obviously we have not seen the best of this Virginia Tech offense. We haven't seen anything close to the best of this Virginia Tech offense. You know, we, they've talked about uh, you, you know using the time off over the past week and a half to look at their their schemes and look at everything and, and try to uh, come up with new and inventive ways to move the ball. They've just really struggled in all facets. Uh, Fuente on Monday today, he said, uh, you know, they've really been looking at their run game and how that needs to get better to try and open up some more things in the passing game. And I think uh, that that's a good place to start anytime when you're talking about Virginia Tech. That goes back to, you know, decades of, of that's how they've found ways to to win games. So if they can get the running attack untracked, which is not an easy task against Notre Dame, but uh, it's certainly going to be a focal point and um, – you know, I, I think they'll they'll perform a little better than expectations in this one. Yeah, I think both of these teams are focused on their running game, which might be part of the reason for the, the low over-under because that right. eats up a lot of clock. Uh, now, going on to, to UVA, and if you bet Miami in the money line last week, you, you got what I guess gets labeled as a bad beat when Miami's uh, field goal, as we've talked about earlier in the show, but Miami's field goal doinks off the upright. Aaron, now Virginia is a two-and-a-half-point underdog on the road at Louisville. Uh, did the Cavaliers show you that they can win on the road, or does the ending of that one in Miami kind of <laughs> negate that? Yeah, you know, when we talked about that game last week, I said, you know, it, it just felt like a coin flip. And and in coin flip situations, you take the points. And, uh, and that's basically what it was. I mean, that game easily could have gone the other way. But if you had the points, you were going to win that bet anyway. So, um, you know, this matchup with, with Louisville, I think – you know, 
I think venue matters. You know, in the past five games between these two teams, the home team has covered in all five. And, uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense when you understand UVA's stark home road splits in their recent years. I mean, it's been a big deal for the for the Cavaliers to be at home, and it's a big deal for them to go on the road. And so uh, another interesting factoid about this series, you know, the last five times they've met, the total has gone under. Uh, the total's pretty big here, as you might imagine, you know, given the defensive struggles by both teams. It's a 66-point over-under. I kind of like uh, the under here, but I do like Louisville to get it done uh, at 31-24 Louisville over Virginia. Interesting. And speaking of big lines, one of the things I noticed this week, the group of five, especially the ranked teams, are, are, are getting a lot of love. I see Coastal Carolina as a 19-point favorite. I see Cincinnati as a 29-point favorite. Now, we mentioned Cincinnati coming off that Notre Dame win, but Aaron, explain those lines to me. Is that Vegas falling in love with these group of five teams, or is that more matchup driven? Yeah, I mean, you'll see big numbers at the lower levels a lot of times, and a lot of times it's just the the opponent is not very good. But in a case like Cincinnati, I mean, they're getting national love. I mean, they're they're on NBC last week beating Notre Dame at Notre Dame. That's going to get the attention of everyone, including betters, including lines makers. And so they've got to make those lines big enough so that everyone doesn't just pile their money on Cincinnati and, and you know, gives the book a big loss you know if you can get equal action then then you're in good shape if you're if you're the odds maker so that's what that's all they're doing here they're just uh taking note of 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 the results that they're seeing and of course that little number five next to cincinnati's name never hurts i mean you know even uh novices can just look at that number and assume they're going to be way better than the opponent they're facing this week you know i don't know if those teams are going to cover but I, i imagine they'll win comfortably um i don't see any upsets there aaron how about looking across the board where do you see your upset of the week I actually got a couple, one in conference. I like Duke uh, getting three and a half, yeah, against Georgia Tech. I mean, Duke, they're a tough out at home. I know that sounds silly uh, given, you know, that atmosphere at at Wallace Wade is not exactly a snake pit, uh, as we all know. But they they play well there. They, they, you know, they cover there. Let's put it that way. Uh, But uh, the one I'm going to go, I'm going to go the big – the big game of the week, well, one of the big games of the week. Um, I'm going to take Texas to go ahead and beat Oklahoma. They're a three-point dog. You know, that's a neutral site game, of course. But the underdogs covered in seven of the past nine meetings between these two rivals. You know, the, the Longhorns are catching three points here. And they've been an ATM lately for betters. I mean, they've covered in six of the past seven games dating back to last year. Uh, Oklahoma's 5-0. and oh, That looks great. But the fact of the matter is the Sooners – They've only covered once this season, and the four the four games they haven't covered, they've been a combined sixty two points on the wrong side of the line. So they've won, you know, those four games. They've been huge double digit favorites, and they've won each of them by a touchdown or less. And that's uh, uh, that's troubling to me. If I'm if I'm an Oklahoma backer here, I I think Texas is fully capable of winning this game outright. And I'm going to go ahead and take them 31-28 over Oklahoma. Well, there you have it. So if you're if you're betting and watching this weekend. Maybe lay your money on on Duke and Texas, but tune your TV to to Texas, Oklahoma. I think that's going to be the more entertaining of those two. (laughs) That's the the safest bet of the week, Mike. That's going to be the better watch. That is awesome. Great stuff, Aaron. Thanks for joining us again, and good luck to all you betting along. Yeah, thanks. Good luck, everybody. We're looking around that ACC. Wake, David, is, is Wake the team to beat now in the conference? Yes, I think so. I mean, you, you you saw him. I saw him against UVA in, in person. I like that team. Number one, I like watching them play. I, I mm. like that offense. But they're they're deep. 
they're old, they're talented, they're they're confident. You know, here's something to think about with, with Wake Forest, and you'd never kind of view the Deacons this way. During the offseason, the ACC's leader in rushing touchdowns from last season, Kenneth Walker, transfers from Wake Forest to Michigan State. Then Wake Forest loses, I believe, the number two returning receiver in yards per catch to a season-ending injury, Donovan Green. And yet that offense is still humming along, averaging 38 mm-hmm. points a game. That's how much talent that Dave Clawson and his staff have stockpiled in Winston-Salem. I've, I think it's really impressive. Now, the, the, the big elephant in the room for the Deacons is Clemson because the last two years, Clemson's beat them. I believe the, the, the margin in, in the two games combined is more than 100 points. Mm. David, you wrote uh, this past week about Dave Clawson, and, and we know him, right? The former Richmond coach and um, the success he had there, and, and quite frankly, uh, you know, built up a national championship team. He, he left right before, and and Mike London ended up taking that team to the title. But um, you know, Dave Clawson has done this building thing <laughs> before. Uh, what are some of the things about Clawson that made him not just successful, but a good fit? At Wake Forest in particular? Well, because he's he's accustomed, Mike, to coaching at academically elite private institutions like Richmond. What's Wake Forest? Mm-hmm. Academically elite, small private. It's the smallest school by undergraduate enrollment in the Power Five. And Clawson doesn't view those as excuses. He, he embraces the, the, the culture and mission of Wake Forest considers them assets, says, let's go recruit nationally and get athletes who who fit the academic profile here and we can win. And this will be the sixth consecutive season that the Deacons will, will go bowling. Now, there are mountains left to climb. This is a program under Clawson that has yet to finish with a winning ACC record. Four and four is the best they've done. And this was a team that just two years ago was seven and one, and then stumbled down the stretch to finish eight and five. Now, Clawson told me that he thought success got to that team's head. He thought there was some selfishness in the locker room. He believes those things have, have been resolved and, and believes this team is, is better prepared to you know finish the season on a, on a higher note. So we'll see, but you know, through five weeks, I think the digs are the best the ACC has. Yeah, if you, if you haven't had a chance to, to read that column, it's still up on richmond.com. Go find that because it was a good read. David, the last thing on Wake I want to ask, and you kind of touched on it, but we have seen teams get off to good starts. My feeling in the ACC has been that other than Clemson, nobody's really built to run the table. Nobody's really built mm-hmm. to do it every weekend. I still have that feeling about Wake. Am I wrong? Well, you know, we, we talked earlier about depth and confidence. I think they go a long way. So I think this particular Wake team is built to last the whole season. That'll be fun to watch. Now, you mentioned one of the hurdles remaining, Clemson. 
Clemson got the win over previously unbeaten Boston College. They still stink on offense. They're just not any good offensively. David, what are we making of Clemson? And are, are they still the team to beat? Um, we just said we, we like Wake. Uh, what do we make of Clemson? And are they going to get this offense figured out? Mike, how much of Clemson BC did you watch Saturday night? About a half. Okay. I, I couldn't help, and I watched a, a real good portion of it. I couldn't help but sit there and watch DJ Uyunglele mm-hmm. try to throw the football. Emphasis on try. Yeah, not good. Be, be, and not think, two athletes immediately came to mind. Steve Sachs, when he couldn't throw the ball from second base to first base, suddenly, just yep. suddenly and inexplicably. And then David Duval, the golfer. Yep who was a major champion who won a pair of of tournaments at Kings Mill that I covered, and they just lost it for no apparent reason. They they couldn't do what they used to do. And this, you know, this is a young, obviously a young man who a year ago was throwing for 400 plus at Notre Dame. Mm Mm-hmm. Albeit in an empty stadium, I, I get that. Not a hostile crowd, but still the most yards ever thrown by an opponent at Notre Dame Stadium. And and now he can't throw it from here across the room. He is wild high almost all the time. And then the poor guy, a couple of times when he puts it on the numbers, his, his guys are dropping the ball. That, that was the thing that I was watching with some friends and I commented. I said, man, he threw maybe six good balls that whole game. And I think three of them were dropped. Drops. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's just, that's very unclemson, right? Like certainly they've had outstanding quarterback play, but they've also had receivers who can, can make a, a questionable throw into a big play and they're just not getting any of it. And David, I, I don't know you. You mentioned Steve Sachs. You mentioned David Duvall. And I, I thought about Chuck Knobloch. Went through that yeah. stretch where he's thrown it. And the Mets used to have a catcher named Mackie Sasser who got it into his head that he couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher without pumping it two or three times. Now, I bring up him because that was it. He never got it back. Those other guys, Steve Sachs moved third back to second. Knobloch, they did some things with. But are, are we believe? I, I can't believe we were gonna. this is going to be the end of DJ. But is no. this... Yeah, you have confidence he's going to turn it around and, and, and be what we expect him to be? And, and do you think that can happen this year? That's, there's the question, Mike. I think eventually it can happen. The, the, but what I don't know and what I have much less faith in is it happening this season. It, uh, needs, to, it needs to if you're Clemson, oh, right? Oh, yeah. No, it, it, it most certainly does. It's not like the, the, the Tigers face a, a gauntlet moving forward but you know they they have pittsburgh in a couple of weeks they're gonna have to score some points to beat those cats now i mean pitt's got the best offense in the country right now so you know the the, the scoring in the teens (laughs) and and walking away um and, and oh by the way we were talking about scott satterfield maybe being a little salty about that end of half possession by wake forest how salty do you think Jeff Halfley and BC Nation was last Saturday after the, the, the Clemson corner is clearly in the neutral zone on that fourth quarter, third down, and the refs don't throw a flag? And, and here Dennis Grossell thinks he's got a free play, ends up getting sacked, and there's no flag. It's fourth down. They've got a punt. 
And that's an odd one. It, it, you know, I don't like to bang on the officials. That's an odd one to miss, though. Yeah, it's right you in know, front it, of it's you. It's right dude. there, and it, it's not. You know, it's not really during the flow of the play. It's it's at the onset of the play, and um, it seemed like everybody saw it <laughs> except for the officials, which is is definitely hard to swallow. You mentioned Pittsburgh, David. I got to ask because you know I know for me it was North Carolina winning the Coastal, Miami maybe pushing them, and then after that Tech win, okay. Tech's in that mix, maybe at the top of it. Did we undervalue Pittsburgh? Well, I sure did. Uh, I picked them fifth in preseason. (laughs) Full disclosure, I picked them behind North Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech, and UVA. And (laughs) to to be honest, after they wet the bed against Western Michigan, I kind of thought, okay, yeah, that's the fifth best team in the Coastal. But all of a sudden, you know, then then they they they, they turn around and you you saw what what they did last week to a Georgia Tech team uh, who would who would just wax North Carolina, and and Kenny Pickett who had mm. never thrown more than thirteen touchdown passes in a season now has nineteen through five games with one pick. Yeah, that yeah. is a crazy ratio. Kenny Pickett's been been at Pittsburgh since what since Dan Marino left, right? Pickett took over from Marino. Yes. Was that the exact order of, of how it correct. went? And I mean, he's been there forever, and we have seen him in person pick apart certainly Virginia Tech. Um, you know, their secondary. He's a he's a very good quarterback who maybe we need to start thinking about as a great quarterback at great least at the college level. Yeah, he's at. Well, let's put it this way: he's having a great season. Yeah, and, that's, and he's making and he's making himself a ton of money because yeah. his draft stock has got to be just going through the roof. And rightfully so, rightfully so. It, it, it's The Coastal is what the Coastal is. The Atlantic is what the Coastal's always been. Uh, that brings us to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. It's pretty simple. The ACC gets left out of this year's college football playoff Take It or Leave It and Mike. David, they're not expanding the playoff this year, right? No. Then the ACC gets left out. I don't see a. I don't see a scenario. I, I understand it could be Wake running the table. Um, I don't think they're built to do it. I think they get a, a slip up somewhere, and I don't think Clemson has the remaining schedule uh, to save themselves. We haven't seen a two-loss team in the playoff. Um, it's bad for the ACC, certainly. Um, you hate to say it, <laughs> but you know when you're. For me, if you're pinning your hopes on Wake Forest going undefeated, you don't have much in the way of hopes. I, I think the ACC gets left out this year. All right, David, Mike's got the ACC missing. This might be the easiest question Mike has ever dropped into the pod. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean as, and as he just referenced, it could happen, but man, the odds are seriously against, especially when you, when you look – Around the country, yes, there's carnage in the Pac-12 after Oregon's loss in overtime at, at Stanford the other night. But Alabama and Georgia are going to be in the playoff. That That's how good they are. So there's two of the four already spoken for. And it's, it's just darn near impossible to craft a scenario where an ACC champion snags one of the other two. Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm really looking forward to Penn State, Iowa this weekend. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a great ball game. I think Ohio State is getting it together. So I think the Big Ten champion to me is in. This could be the, a year. Uh, hold on just a second, Mike. 
Are you, are you discounting the fighting Jimmy Harbaugh's? You know, I guess I am. I guess I am. But they're in the picture, too. David, I think this is a year. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Um, I think if Oklahoma runs the table, they'll be in. But this is a year that it feels like it could be two from the SEC and mm-hmm. two from the Big Ten. And I don't think if, if you're neutral and you're honest, I don't think I'd have an argument against it. Certainly a, a snapshot in time right now. Give me Bama, Georgia, Penn State, Iowa. And, and I would have no complaints. I'd say that's a fair college football playoff at this point. Um, Oklahoma is going to be interesting to me because everybody's banging on Oklahoma, including me. They, they're not good on offense. Um, they're just getting by in some of their games. But I got to believe that if they do that all year or, or if they get it figured out and they're undefeated, they're going to be in. Um, like you said, it's it's there's only it, it's musical chairs. And I think there's a lot of teams in the room right now playing that game. I think the ACC is on the outside of that room looking in. I don't see them getting that seat. Mike, BYU and Cincinnati would like a word with you. I know. I just, you know, I don't know that I can see it this year, even though I think of all the times we've debated, I think this is the best Cincinnati team, the best BYU team. I think they are good enough to be there. Um, I just think this is going to be that year that it, it might be SEC and Big Ten all the way, taking all the spots. If Oklahoma trips up, I, 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 it's going to be really hard for the ACC. I think it's going to be equally hard for BYU and Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati needs Notre Dame to really, really look good the rest of the way. Yes, it does. And and BYU needs the same from, say, Arizona State. Yep. But BYU could end up with – I mean, if BYU ran the table, I believe it would have – is it six or seven Power Five wins, including UVA, which, which goes out there uh, Halloween weekend. So it's uh, – you know, right now, BYU is the best team in the Pac-12. <laughs> they should get a de facto trophy. And uh, yeah, they're just, they've, there are a lot of very good teams that are in line before the ACC's in line. And yes. um, I, I think, you know, they grab their number at the deli counter and I think the deli counter is going to close before they get their cold cuts. That's the, <laughs> the way it looks to me. Well, thanks for listening. Go get yourself some cold cuts or whatever it is you like to eat. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pod. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Please join David and me again next time when we'll work in a little college basketball.